And basically at the sleepover, we started sharing our stories of sexual assault and the same perpetrator who sexually assaulted me in 2011 sexually assaulted my friend in 2012. I just remember thinking like something needs to be done about this and I could not sleep that night and all I was thinking was if I had known that was sexual assault then I would have reported it and then he wouldn't have done it to her. Our guest today is a 23-year-old Australian woman who is pioneering a national movement about sexual consent that is stirring explosive discussions worldwide. She has been featured in The Guardian, Vogue, The New York Times, CNN and SBS, among others, and even nominated for Australian of the Year. Sick of constantly hearing about how many of her friends have been sexually assaulted, she decided to post an informal Instagram poll to her following while in lockdown in London during February this year. She asked, have you or has anyone close to you experienced sexual assault from someone who went to an all-boys school? In less than 24 hours, 72% of respondents answered yes. The post went viral and harrowing testimonies that exposed just how widespread rape culture is within our society started pouring in. She quickly launched teachersconsent.com alongside an online petition calling for earlier and more holistic sexual consent education to be taught in Australian schools. The petition is urging schools to engage in a sex education dialogue with students previously thought too young to be educated on issues such as toxic masculinity, rape culture, slut shaming, victim blaming, sexual coercion and enthusiastic consent. There are now over 40,000 signatures for the petition and more than 6,000 testimonies from current and former Australian school students who alleged they were sexually assaulted, many by boys who attended Australia's most prestigious schools. Her campaign has not only forced people in power to take notice, but the New South Wales Police have also seen a 54% increase in sexual assault reporting between February and March this year. However, this is only the beginning. She won't stop until these calls for change are debated on the floor of Parliament. But more importantly, she is determined to continue advocating for change until sexual assault ceases to be a problem in our community. As a start, she is trying to ensure younger generations are better educated so that they never again have the delayed realization that they've been victims or perpetrators of sexual assault. She is an inspiring modern woman who is using her heroic voice to forge a once-in-a-generation curriculum review that will shape our culture for the better, and I could not be more honored to have her on this episode, how we can all put an end to Australia's rape culture. Together, we discuss how our rape culture began, the way in which we all perpetuate it, and examine the narrative shift that is required to put an end to it. It's my absolute pleasure to bring you today's guest, the trailblazing and revolutionary Chanel Contos. Chanel, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you're currently in London, is that correct? Yes, it's nice 10 a.m. in London right now. (laughs) So you're just waking up. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking part in this episode. I just think what you're doing is unbelievable. uh, And I just think it's crazy that you're 23 uh, and heading this movement, which has gone viral across the world. Talk to me about it. How did you get started? Tell me about your personal and professional backgrounds and how that's influenced you in this movement. Yeah, so my personal background is growing up um, in Sydney's eastern suburbs, which was where the petition started. Um, And I went to a school called Kampala, which is a very um, 
I guess, kind of, it's a very elite school only in the sense of wealth, not in the sense of the type of people who go there. Fellow Kambala girls. So you gra- I graduated yeah. in 2006 and you graduated in? 2015. Okay, right. All right. That makes me feel old. Kambala yeah, is um, a great school and it is um, just one of those like elite institutions in Australia. And my petition started out of that because um, when I went to Kambala, I received consent education in year 10, but the only reason that happened to me was because Kambala could afford the resources to bring in external people to teach that to me. It wasn't in the curriculum at the time. Um, And I guess my journey in terms of being an advocate for consent education started the first time I learned what consent was, because the first thing I did when I got told what sexual assault was and what consent was um, because for me, that was also the same moment I realized that I had been sexually assaulted two years prior. Um, me and my two best friends went to, you know, a authority at the school's office and said, that was amazing, but that needed to happen earlier. And we basically got told that we were advanced for the year. And that's why that sort of thing happened to us. Wow. Um, and that it wasn't fair to put other girls in the year who, you know, may not even know what sex is two years prior in an environment where they're having conversations like that. Um, And I just remember being so angry and, you know, but anyway, and then didn't think about it again for years and years and years. And then last year in 2020, I was at a sleepover with three friends and we also, um, they went to neighbouring all girls schools um, in Sydney's eastern suburbs. So again, the same sort of like elite institution vibe. And we grew up together knowing each other, going to the same parties, socializing together, but um, we weren't as like that close, but in our adult life, we've gotten very close. And basically at the sleepover, um, we started sharing our stories of sexual assault and two things happened. One, we realized we had endless of them, of our friends, you know, both perpetrators and victims that we knew, that we socialized with personally, that, you know, things that happened at parties we were at and didn't realize. And two, I got told that the same um, perpetrator who sexually assaulted me in 2011 sexually assaulted my friend in 2012. And I just remember thinking like something needs to be done about this and I could not sleep that night and all I was thinking was if I had known that was sexual assault that I would have reported it and then he wouldn't have done it to her and I think it's just so telling of the way you know rape culture in our society is so cyclical and that like every little block or two it actually does stop the cycle whether that be education reporting you know anything um and then again fast forward about a year so I started that's when I started had the idea to do this to collect testimonies that were specific enough that pinpointed the school that the person went to but not specific enough to pinpoint the actual person basically just bring light to this rape culture that was just rife through Australian schools this year in London and with one of my best friends we grew up together in Sydney um you know they're sitting on my floor talking you know they've just started going to therapy and was getting flashbacks to things that happened to them when they were young and one of those things was their sexual assault experience that I actually personally witnessed and stopped um and we're talking about it and we're just sitting there like both crying and shaking because you know I used to get really triggered when I spoke about sexual assault and we were just the only question we could think of was do they know they did this to us you know we're here you know almost 10 years later with um, trauma symptoms and are they even aware that they are sexual assault perpetrators because they weren't told what sexual assault was 
Um, and then that's why I start my Instagram poll, which tried to point out the difference between how many people who grew up in Sydney um, that were girls felt like they had been sexually assaulted and how many boys that grew up in Sydney felt that their friends had sexually assaulted someone. Yeah. Um, and obviously there was a massive discrepancy in that. And then from there, this just all took off. And then I guess my professional story, and I think it's important to the context, is I'm a, currently a master's student in gender education and international development. So I'm constantly reading like all this stuff that I advocate for and you know all the things that I say we need to do. I'm, I'm not just making them up. I'm using like best practice and like many, many, many hours of um, reading. Yeah, wow, what an amazing journey. I was just reflecting as you were speaking because obviously I went to the same school, Kambala, and I have zero recollection of ever learning about consent. And I read when I was reading all these articles about you that you said, you know, teaching kids about consent at 16 is too late when they've already been sexually active for, you know, a number of years. So it's just wild to me that that was the response that you received when you raised it with the school. Uh, what has the school's response been since you've um, started this petition? They have been very, very accommodating to me, especially me personally, in terms of giving me like moral support. Um, <laughs> helped me by getting they were like what can we do like do you want lawyers do you want a PR firm and I was like no 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 I need therapy and I need <laughs> yeah. in terms of what's going to be done at Kambala that's different in consent education I I don't know if anything's changed in the last two months but I'm okay right. with that you know I met with um nine eastern suburb schools principals of eastern suburb schools around Sydney which were the main ones that kept coming up in my testimony is just because that's who I initially called on. When I met with these nine principals and, you know, they kept just being like, well, what can we do? I was like, you know, just chill. Like, don't just implement something right now. Yeah. We need, we need long-term consistent yeah. educational reform. Yeah. I think that Kambala is open to educational reform and consent. I think mm-hmm. that, <laughs> I think they would struggle with the media if they weren't. <laughs> it's I, wild I, to I me. I think they are just genuinely shocked. Yeah, it's wild to me because I read that you said that the word consent does not appear in the curriculum at all across Australia. Right. It's on the Australian curriculum, which means it's up to the discrepancy of states how to teach it. And then it also means it's kind of optional, like the same way that, you know, no one would ever skip over Pythagoras' theorem in the curriculum. That could easily happen with Okay. Um, But that's what Victoria has done differently this time, mandated consent education. So they have that in the curriculum, they have the resources there, but it's never been compulsory, whereas now it's compulsory. Right. Okay. Um, well, that's a step in the right direction at least. It is. Victoria's doing really well in being like really progressive about this. Um, I've been meeting with the Department um, of Education, the minister's office quite regularly, and they're, um, they're doing big things, but yeah. the other states and territories aren't yet. Have you been met with any resistance? Because I read a few articles where some of the schools are not being uh, encouraging towards students in terms of um, giving testimonies about their own experiences. Yeah, so this was an interesting one. And I think it did happen at the beginning. I think that um, I think the schools did think that this was just some like big fad website that was going to be up for 48 hours and then go away. And right. their advice to students basically do not participate. Right. Um, and... You know, to be honest, I also thought it was going to be a big fad website that was up for 48 hours and go away, so fair enough. But what they didn't realise there was by telling their students not to participate was the worst thing they could have done because it was victim blaming because it wasn't, you know, obviously boys' schools can't tell yeah. their students not to be named, but 
they were saying, they were equating being on the website and saying that you're a victim of sexual assault with a bad reputation of the school. Exactly, like bad PR. And, yeah. yeah. And I was just, I don't even think they realise how ingrained these notions of victim blaming are in them after hearing this petition, hearing all these things, talking about how we live in a victim blaming society, and then them going ahead and saying to their young girls, you know, do not identify yourself as a victim. That is so bad for the school. It's like, no, 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 being yeah. a perpetrator, yeah. bad for the school. Exactly. So how do you define victim blaming? I guess victim blaming can be as extreme as, you know, someone literally saying that you're coming forward with your sexual assault experience and someone telling you that that was your fault because of something you did. And it can be as minor as continuously putting the onus on victims to make sure they don't get sexually assaulted instead of making the narrative about making sure that people don't sexually assault people. You know, we're told what to wear all the time. We're told, um, you know, again, that being sexually assaulted is associated with a bad reputation. We're told like every inch of a girl's existence, the way she's socialized from such a young age teaches her how to not get sexually assaulted, which means when she does, it makes it so hard to speak up against. And then if she speaks up against it, it means that she's very rarely believed. Exactly. Yeah. Like questions like, were you drinking? Did you go back to his house? Why were you alone with him? <laughs> like that somehow. Exactly. Like- it should be, you know, um, why was he so drunk? Did he take you back to his house? Why did he take you alone with him when? Um, why can't he be alone with you and control himself? More importantly, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why does yeah. it matter like, where you yeah. are? He shouldn't be assaulting you. Yeah. Full stop. Literally, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, talk to me about your intention with teachusconsent.com and the petition. So, with teachusconsent.com, my first and foremost aim is to implement more holistic and earlier consent education Australia wide. When I say more holistic, I mean we can't just teach what consent is. We can't just teach what sexual assault is in, you know, legal definition terms. We need to teach about the real-life scenarios that eventuate, which is, you know, a boyfriend pushing a girl's head down on him. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to teach about the power imbalances that come into play. That's essentially it. The power imbalances that come into play when trying to navigate consent because we haven't taught girls how to say no in society. Absolutely not. Um, and that's the these are the sort of things we need to, like, nut out and we need to talk about, you know, making sure that, you know, there's an empathy gap between the way that boys and girls are socialised that just means that girls are constantly overstepping their boundaries at the expense of their own comfort and that boys are willing to request those boundaries be overstepped at benefit of their own sexual desires and that's why we have this epidemic of sexual assault amongst youth so when I say holistic consent education um I mean just explaining you know gendered norms the fact that if you are sexually assaulted every inch of society will be against you but that doesn't mean you shouldn't speak up someone said to me I haven't actually fact-checked this but I the person who said it to me was pretty legit he was um this man working out of the U.S. who's helped me on something and he's really really um influential man and he's like dedicating his like side hustle life now to preventing sexual assault because his daughter was sexually assaulted oh wow and like this guy's like top dog like he he name dropped jeff bezos and i was like okay (laughs) and he said to me if i had known growing if i had known when i was growing up my children Mm -hmm. that my daughter was more likely to get sexually assaulted than she was to smoke in this day and age i would have 
taught my son think very, things very differently and taught my daughter things very differently. Wow. But it just needs to become a thing that we just acknowledge that this is a very real problem and it is a, you know, campaign that is in our lives as much as telling children not to smoke is these days. This behaviour has become so normalised, you know, like it just goes back to what you're saying. There is no education regarding this this serious cultural issue that's taking place, right? Yeah, I was at an all-girls boarding school in the UK a few weeks ago and I like got in the room with all these girls and I just had to like start the consent talk and it was kind of like my first consent talk and I was like, all right, girls, like, you know, it's pretty common to go to a party and, you know, either you or your friend or someone at the party goes to a room, gives a guy a head and then, um, you know, they come out 10 minutes later and it's like off you go and then he may or may not talk to her at school the next week, right? And everyone was just like, yeah. And then I was like, okay, let's imagine going to a party. Um, you all like talk before about who you want to eat you out that night. And then you go to the party, grab a few guys each, you know, beg them to go down on you. Um, you know, they give you head for about 10 minutes and then you just leave the room, go tell your friends about it and then ignore them at school the next week. And they all burst out laughing. And I was just like, that is the impact. That's the power imbalance we're dealing with right now. The fact that you think the first is normal and that the second is incomprehensible. Yeah. Like the audacity and entitlement of those young boys to expect the first to be normal is the exact paramount we're dealing with right now. Our legal system needs to account for the fact that the most common type of rapist is someone who is your friend, who is your boyfriend, who is someone you trust and who's a young person. You know, most of these types of rapists, they're called entitled opportunists yeah. and most of them happen for the first, they perpetrate for the first time when in their teens. Yeah. I saw you posted on your Instagram the different type of rapist. Let's go through those because I feel like in the movies and the media, it's always a sort of like serial rapist um, that's like violent and can't control himself. But the one that's most prevalent in our society is that entitled rapist, which I know I've had my own experience with a number of those. Um, so what sort of characteristics do they have? So an entitled opportunist um, is used to instant gratification and satisfaction. Because of the way our society socialises men, they are almost always um, cis males. Because toxic masculinity is the norm, these people are usually very assertive, opportunistic, you know, kind of like go after what they want, which our society values in men, which usually means they end up in positions of power later in life. Entitled opportunists are not inherently bad people. They're not the type of rapists that maliciously plan to, you know, kidnap someone, keep them in their basement for weeks. They're usually not very violent at all, whereas other types of rapists are really violent. Entitled um, opportunists often use sexual coercion, um, manipulation, mm -hmm. social pressures, guilt tripping, saying things like, you know, if you're going out with a boy who's two years older than you and he wants to have sex with you and you don't want to and he says you're clearly not mature enough to do this with me, you mustn't love me if you don't want to do this with me. People don't realise that that's sexual assault, the perpetrator nor the victim. An entitled opportunist is very, very possibly perceived a nice person in all as other aspects of life. But there's a fundamental empathy gap there. And ultimately, in that sexual moment, usually his sexual desires are more important to him than, you know, potentially the unconscious girl in front of him or the girl in front of him who's very, like, hesitant and passive to the situation, which is a trauma response. Um, and then that's why we have this, like, magnitude of sexual assault because the entitled opportunists you know, does this thing to a girl who doesn't scream and kick saying no, but also doesn't say, yes, please do this to me. And then he goes outside of the party, probably gets a high five from his friends. He's celebrated, and, right? Uh, These types yeah. of characters are celebrated. Our society doesn't only let them go unpunished, but one, most of the time they probably don't know they've done it until this conversation. Like, I honestly think there are thousands of boys around Australia right now being like, 
question. Yeah. And three, they actually get celebrated. Like in this rape culture, they get celebrated for it. It is more socially acceptable for a young man to sexually assault someone than it is for a young woman to engage in consensual sex. Right. And I think yes. it just defines, the, like, it's a, that's a big statement. And a lot of people hear that and be like, oh, my God, you're being ridiculous. But if you think about it, as you said, they get celebrated mm-hmm. and girls get not shamed. It's our reality. That's the problem, you know. So what do we do about it? What are you doing about it? The point of the petition and campaign is not to point fingers. The point is to let everyone know that it is guaranteed that someone you know has been sexually assaulted and guaranteed that someone you know has sexually assaulted someone. I found the testimony super confronting, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised or shocked whatsoever. I've heard those stories a million times over. I've experienced them myself. And if I felt for you having to deal with that, because there's no way you could have ever thought that it would blow up to this extent that so many women would reach out to you and even men when you ran one of the polls I think over 50% of men said that they knew uh, a fellow man who had committed sexual assaults I mean the response has been huge right but I think what was most concerning for me is that it wasn't just you know one-on-one incidents more often than not there are a number of people privy to these incidents and nobody did anything about it. And that's why I totally agree with you when you say we're living in a rape culture. I mean, how would you define this rape culture? A rape culture is when societal norms about and attitudes about sexuality and gender make it so rape can not only occur but flourish and go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is these things like victim blaming. Yeah. The way that that relates to attitudes about sexuality and gender, that goes to things like, you know, shaming Mm. girls who participate in consensual sex more than Mm -hmm. boys who sexually assault and, you know, the big taboo around female sexuality. And that does talk to gendered norms and expectations, constantly putting the onus on girls to make sure that what they're doing in their day-to-day lives doesn't get them sexually assaulted. Um, It encompasses the fact that, you know, we say boys will be boys. I can't even articulate the double standard because it's like we give boys like so much you know they're they're in all ways superior to us except whenever they do something that's wrong then suddenly say boys will be boys girls are just so much better at doing that than boys and I'm just like what (laughs) like and I'm not saying girls are better than boys I'm just saying can we give boys some credit if we're going to give them credit for everything else in their life like why don't we also some credit for the bad actions they're so capable in every other aspect but when it comes to women we treat them almost like dogs like oh you know like that they're they're just boys excuse that you know suddenly become like you know we talk about this like sex drive and like biology and the fact that they just like need to do that in that situation and it's like there's a lot of things that humans needed to do 2000 years ago 5,000 years ago we don't need to do anymore because we have evolved and developed morals and socialized and but I also I challenge that I would say that women have just as high a sex drive as men except they can control themselves (laughs) you know and that's what I mean yeah we've learned to control ourselves um whereas society just continuously excuses boys to not control themselves. Yeah, exactly. But like you said, like women's sexuality is so taboo. For young girls, that message is so problematic. A young girl is curious about her sexuality the same way a young yeah. man is curious about her sexuality. And then also, if we continuously tell girls, we, we, you know, we admit the fact that sex is meant to be a good thing, it's meant to feel nice when it's something that you want to be doing and when you're ready for it, how are they meant to tell between a consensual and a non-consensual situation? Right. 
And so how do you tell? I mean, that you've mentioned enthusiastic consent before. What does that look like? I mean, I hate to kill the romance, you know, in a, yeah. in a sexual scenario. I think in Sweden, enthusiastic consent encompasses verbal consent, yeah. you know. I also don't like honestly is there anything much more romantic than someone being like please do this to me like, yeah right it's romantic there's some problems with you yeah enthusiastic consent can be physical cues as well um but I do think that there should be a verbal element included for um legislation I'm not sure I haven't thought about that completely especially if it's like the first time you're sleeping with someone or something like that but enthusiastic consent and like what a consensual experience looks like is you know as I said it's not just freezing in that moment a girl just being still while a boy does something because that's a trauma response and you know she doesn't say no but she's not accepting that either yeah and that's also really weird when you think about it that people would want to like that we perceive sex in a way that that is something that may be desirable to a person to just like have someone be frozen in front of them and it just shows how much when people are young, they're doing this to tick a box and tell their friends. Rather it's the than challenge, right? Like I read you say, like they get the frigid girl in the bedroom and it's a conquest, like they've achieved something, right? I mean, I, when I think about it, enthusiastic consent's very clear. Like you said, the girl's telling you she wants it. But the problem I think with the culture that we're currently living in is guys think that no means yes. And it's kind of like a game for them to get you to change your mind in the bedroom. And I've heard this from a few of my guy friends um they've said that they've gone home with a girl and um the girl in the car on the way home has been like I'm not having sex with you tonight by the way and then the boys okay and they've gone into the room you know kiss for a bit not made any further advances and then after a few hours okay I'm gonna go home now and then the girl was like either said to them directly or said to their friends behind their back like what the fuck he didn't even try to do anything with me and it is really problematic that society tells girls to play hard to get when they don't want to be like they want to then like we girls should just be able to engage in sex if that's what they want to do without shame but because of this like protect yourself from sex because of this whole slut shaming because of the whole way again that girls think that if they just like if a girl is liberated in her sexuality she is frowned upon and less desired it all contributes to this rape culture because suddenly boys think it's normal to chase after a girl a few times until she well, fine, so she doesn't get caught a slut for it, even if it was her intention in the first place. Yeah. And then that means when it's not someone's intention, they do the same thing. And I think that, like, the concept of, like, playing hard to get, and I also get this with my friends as well so much, when they're like, should I text this boy? Like, even if it's off like, hinge or something. I'm like, yes, fuck that. Why is our society telling us that, like, boys should text us first? Contributes to rape culture. Like... Where they've got the power and they, like, yeah, yeah they drive the situation and make the rules. Yeah, totally. Exactly. If they want something, it shouldn't be too keen to express our interest in something. We're literally, like, again, just downplaying enthusiastic consent, saying that it's, like, not socially acceptable. Women should be submissive and wait for the guy to take action. And if they do take action, then they're, like, slut-shamed for it. And that's how we sort of perpetuate this, like, situation as well, because I definitely do think that women also play a role in it, for sure. 100%. You know? I think a big yeah, absolutely. And so I completely agree that we need to be educated more on this. So talk to me about Operation Vest. Operation Vest is a campaign that um, called for like a mass influx of informal reports of sexual assault. And in doing this, you could remain anonymous or not. Um, 
and you can give as much or little detail about the perpetrator as you wish. And then the ultimate idea was for one, to show to the New South Wales police how few sexual assaults are reported. Um, two, to reduce victim blaming in our society, because what can happen is if you submit a sorrow, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. As I said, it can be anonymous. You can name the perpetrator. It doesn't mean anything. That perpetrator, that cannot hold them accountable in any way because obviously it's an anonymous report. So yeah. if someone ever comes into the police station and makes a report about that person, even the validation that that victim can get by a police officer turning to them and saying, this person has been reported before, a repeat offender we really encourage you to take this seriously or even maybe the shift in the own police officer's mindset by seeing that this person has done this behave sort of thing before um i think that's a really big step in reducing victim blaming and encouraging reporting um and then the last thing and again one of the i think this is really important it normalizes reporting sexual yeah. assault because you don't need to make the big scary step from you know waking up in the morning after being sexually assaulted and walking straight into the police station and then you know going to hospital and getting a rape kit done you can wake up you can process you don't have to do it then you can do it later your friend can do it for you and the purpose is to put in as much information as you can remember at the time and there's a history backlog of your own testimony so then in future if you ever want to call it up again it's there and then it gets rid of this you know this bullshit stuff like why are you only bringing this up now that he's a famous and influential person and it's like oh because I was sick of him using his position of power to continuously exploit people but it brings up like it gets rid of all this victim blaming because it it shows the historical backlog of it it shows you can put more details in it and then it also provides police intelligence you know it's going to be a big wake-up call for police to see how many you know probably like underage girls these stories yeah you know it's interesting because in my own experience a guy that I grew up with sexually assaulted me it didn't even occur to me at the time to make a record of it and one of the reasons I never spoke about it uh was because I was scared that you know I would be ostracized by the people around me uh and also attacked for you know essentially getting myself in that situation and I just feel like that is going to make such a difference a, in boys' behaviour, knowing that that's a possibility that somebody can make a record about them, but also for women, knowing that they can do this anonymously and then just sort of yeah. forget about it. Because the thing is, a lot of, like, a lot of these cases are happening to teenagers who don't have the yeah. emotional maturity or life experience to truly comprehend what's taken place. And to out somebody in their community, people they go to school with, is just far too daunting for them to take on at that point in their life. So I really commend you for creating this because I feel like it's going to be a game changer. I certainly would have loved to have had that growing up. So so in New South Wales, the system existed, but it just wasn't used really? in this way. Was it yeah, called so the, the same book, thing, Operation Vest? It was and, called a sorrow, but then we right. labelled it Operation Right, and, okay. That way. But in Victoria, it doesn't exist at all, so I'm calling for it to exist in Victoria. Um, but in New South Wales, it was used um, just for the historical backlog, whereas now it's like the cross-checking of perpetrators and also means you put your details – so you can report anonymously, but you can also put your details down and then, you know, say I go into the police station and report a sexual assault and it's against the same person that you have a SARO operation vest against and you've left the details and been like, if anyone ever reports this boy, I, you know, let me know. Yeah. They will call you and say, 
you know, there's someone else who's reporting this person. We encourage you to take yours more seriously. And then, you know, we can either go in together, we can be connected, we can provide support to each other. Or I don't, I think the way our justice system works, it's irrelevant if someone has, um, like, it's not like we would together be able to charge him, but, you know, set up two different cases and, again, just reduce that victim blaming and feeling like you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking of what you were saying before about how we were discussing how men are sort of celebrated for their behaviour and then women, if they were to ever engage in the same behaviour, would be criticised for it. And that same person who sexually assaulted me, I remember years later, like over five years later, contacted me over LinkedIn and he said, I really respect you for not giving in that night. Most women would have. And I feel like that just perfectly illustrates exactly what's going on in our society it's so fucking sadistic right you know and he actually even wrote that like would he put that in writing on linkedin you know and it's just it's exactly what the issue is for him to think that had i given in that somehow would have been a poor reflection and he's the exact entitled opportunist that we're we're talking about who's now some top australian lawyer who essentially tried to rape me but because i fought back he he couldn't seal the deal. I guess he's assuming that most women wouldn't have fought back. And, you know, you've mentioned fawning, which I actually had never heard about before until I followed your Instagram stories and what you're doing with this petition. It's crazy that that isn't even really recognised by our justice system as like a sort of coping mechanism for women in these situations. Fawning is a very female trauma response. Yeah. Um, It's very, very common in females and not so common in males because fawning is a trauma response that most often kicks in when you're, you know, you're frightened for your life, you're scared, the same as any other trauma responses. But it's also when um, the person who's attacking you is usually like physically imposing to you so that it's not really an option to fight back, which is why it's so often for this situation to happen between a girl and a boy because um, physically and generally boys are larger than girls. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we all know about fight and flight and, you know, freeze is also a, you know, a trauma response that's been spoken about more in recent years. We all know about them. We all know that's what people do when they're scared. What we do not talk about is the fourth trauma response, which is called to fawn. And in this situation, um, it kind of, it's pretty new and it's like there's lots of literature emerging out of it from the Weinstein cases because there's so many questions as to, you know, why did you go for lunch with him later? Um why were you nice to him? Like, why did you keep working for him? Whatever. Again, just victim blaming, victim blaming, victim blaming. What in that moment as a survival technique, you're nice to um, the person who's threatening you. You, it's, you see it over and over again, the testimonies, people saying, I do what I needed to do to get out of there. So you're scared. So you either passively lay there while they have sex with you. You smile at them after and you're nice to them the next day um you like laugh and like be like oh, no 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 it's fine and like mm, like you're you know you're shy you um so many girls said like you know they were trying to have sex with me so I just gave them head to get out of the situation um to make them happy and so many girls keep saying the words just to make them happy that without them realizing is fawning and the problem is we don't one teach what that is because that means that perpetrators don't know that a girl being Again, like a girl just being passive and silent and submissive isn't yes. That needs to be like, yes, yeah, I actually actively want to do this with you. And then two, it contributes to victim blaming because girls don't understand that that was their response to these situations. And it is very rare that your response was to kick and fight. And 
I'm so, so, so glad that that worked out for you. But the reality is in a lot of these situations, kicking and fighting can get you in even more trouble than you were in before, which is why so many people fawn because it is a very effective trauma response because it gets you out of the situation, you get out alive, and that's the goal. Um, there's also all these elements that come into play that like people who are um, more likely to fawn are also usually more likely to have like um, abusive relationships in their life where they like are used to like walking on eggshells around people as I said it's effective and then it means that afterwards you sit there and you think was that rape because I didn't say no and like oh it's not his fault because he definitely know, didn't know because he didn't say I didn't say no and you know I, I um, still uh, continued to go out with him for another month after or um, I still went on another date with him or like I still spoke to him like all these things and it's like yeah but what he did to you was put you in a room and lock the door behind you and in that moment you did what you needed to do to get out of the situation and you made him feel as though you wanted to be there to get out of the situation. And that response and, you know, fawning mixed with an entitled opportunist, which makes up the vast, 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 vast majority of sexual assault cases. Neither of those things stand up in court. Yeah. Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say that he didn't get violent in response, you know, like I definitely had bruises all over me. And I would also be lying if I didn't say that I fawned to an extent in the sense that after it took place, I did appease him because he drove me home and I had to be pleasant and, you know, I just basically shut down so that I could get home in one piece. And then I would see him socially and I I would try to not engage with him, but I certainly wasn't, you know, calling him out on his behaviour. I didn't really do anything proactive about it, you know, so I totally relate to women who have been sexually abused and still interact with that person because it's a power play. It's the yeah. society that we live in. If somebody has social influence, you are at a loss because what can you do other than, you know, sort of out the situation, which is comp very confronting for the victim. I didn't want people to know about what I went through because I somehow felt like I was at fault. I was so young, you know? And that's the problem with this lack of education. You don't even know that you've been assaulted. You just feel like you've got yourself in a situation that you shouldn't have been in. So you're somehow, you know, to blame for that. What an injustice of our society that people get sexually assaulted so often that they often don't even know it's happened to them. Right. Or that they've committed it. And that's an injustice of our society and our education system. Together. But also, I mean, I watch so many documentaries on this topic. It's something I'm very passionate about. And that's why I was so excited to speak to you today, because there are so many rape victims and then they do report it and they receive backlash. You know, they're slut shamed, victim blamed. And the emphasis is on how outing that situation could potentially destroy the guy's academic or yeah. professional career. And they receive such a backlash that they're cyberbullied. They often have to move states. A lot of them commit suicide because then A, not believed and B, not supported on a public level or a legal level. You know, I, I know that there was that really famous case with Brock Turner and it was all because he was an athlete at Stanford and you're ruining his career. And it's like he literally raped a girl, you know, and yeah. it's just there's so many injustices on an educational level, on a cultural level, you know. So I think that Operation Vest is going to, you know, you said it's been around for a long time, but airing it uh, and letting women know that this is a, an option for them to report because these cases are so underreported, right? They're so underreported. And also if it just becomes like the point of Operation Vest was to make it normal to make a sorry complaint. And if it's just like 
your, your friend even if like I'm thinking god how good would it be I'm just thinking of my like 15 year old self to be in um you know in the lunch courtyard and be empowered with these like understanding and language and tools and know what an operate know what operation best is and things like that and for my friend to come in from school and be like oh like my boyfriend did this to me last night and imagine if instead of just being like oh what a dick I could be like oh my god you should fill out this report you want me to help you right like imagine the change in it empowers you it's so empowering it's so empowering and even the word fawn the amount of girls who messaged me after I talked about what fawning was to be like holy shit I've only ever blamed myself for this like thank you yeah um and it's such a female response as well because we're told to be pleasant you know to be quiet to be polite like it's it's an obvious reaction for us to just shut down, appease a person, exit, you know, do what you have to do, compromise on some level to get yourself out of that situation and then tolerate them moving forward because we're not supposed to be outspoken. We're not supposed to make a fuss of the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just so ridiculous that our society still sees it as making a fuss. Right. Like, And it is because we have this stereotype of what a rapist is and that these people don't fit that stereotype. So people refuse to believe it. Someone said to me, this lady who works in, uh, she's kind of a first responder to sexual assault victims at um, Royal Prince Alfred. She was like, the people that we believed um, that they were raped are the ones who are dead. And, like, I read I that. Rape. I was so, so shocked. Like, that's what it takes, it's right? So for the person to be it's dead. So like, they need to be like left for dead in a bush or missing or something and then suddenly the whole society is like oh my god that poor thing yeah and I can speak to that from my own experience when I tell people about my experience it's either met with laughter or silence like they don't take it seriously you were talking about girls who like preface on the date that they're not going to sleep with the guy I'm always that girl like I always preface like happy to hang out with you but I'm not going home with you I'm not sleeping with you even after the first kiss and it could be in a public scenario I find more cases than not, guys are very quick to become sexually aggressive with me, whether it's through biting, pulling my hair, choking. I like, and this is in public situations. And I just wonder, what is the influence do you think porn and alcohol has on this rape culture that we're currently living in? Because I can't say that porn is solely responsible for this, but I feel like it's definitely contributing to the situation because where else are they learning these behaviours? And why do think women think it's okay that it's happening? I think the thing is, so there's two problems there. There's porn at a young age. One sets unrealistic expectations. It's currently being used as the only only form of sexual education for Australian youth. Um, And, you know, there's so many reasons that's problematic. But what you're talking about here is older boys who obviously do know what sex is and, like, have an understanding of it. They become desensitised to just healthy intimacy and romance and well it's not intimacy it's objectification and it's a power play like they are controlled they are dominating you right I mean there is no intimacy it's I want you to serve me and I want to dominate you not all the time but a lot of the time I think it's really common for yeah videos to like so many porn videos are just so degrading to women even the ones that don't fall in the category of you know domination and stuff like that they're just still so frequently you know they don't talk about consent they don't um I think it, it I guess the false expectations that Australian youth have from porn I guess 
men are having. I don't know. I do know it does play a big part, but I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. Well, I think you're on the path to fixing it. Like you're focusing on the education aspect by introducing holistic sex education in schools. I think that that's definitely going to help resolve an aspect of the issue. But I wonder, how did this even begin? And I mean, like, is this human nature? Is this ingrained in us? You've made a lot of references to the patriarchy. Mm. What do you think is causing this? You know, since agriculture, it's just been a slow form of control over the female body and the same way that humans had property for the first time in terms of land and they had um, money for the first time and services and all these concepts of things that, um, you know, our market system has created in the last however many years. Women became commodities. Women became property. But, like, the objectification of women is, what, one of the biggest industries in the world, right? (laughs) Like, it's particularly in the Western world, and then you have the sex slave industry. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And the answer is how to take that down, God knows, when it has now shaped our whole society. And, you know, we had these historical gender norms that were unnaturally imposed on us and we created civilization. And then now we have this, like, internet where there's just, like, unlimited access to objectification of women. And not even unlimited access, just, like, so normalized to us yeah that's it you don't even know we're accessing it when we're scrolling yeah. through instagram it's like, it doesn't even need to be pornography you know like instagram tiktok the way we look at a photo of our friends and judge what they're wearing or you know how they're spoken about things like that it's just you know the whole internet is built around the porn industry and our whole society as a consequence reflects um these ideals that just do not promote as you said any form of intimacy right and also women are like subjecting them to those ideals in the sense like you go on instagram and women are naked in a lot of their photos like objectifying themselves if a girl who's 14 years old does post a photo in a bikini why do we sexualize that you know she's Potentially just going for a swim <laughs> and like lots of photo activities, but we sexualize everything, including underage girls' bodies. Yeah. Like the whole, God, the whole school children, like porn genre, the whole, like how frequent it is to get catcalled and sexually harassed when you're in school uniform. It honestly sickens me when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you're 15, you're like, oh, that like 25 year old boy thinks I'm really cute. That's so cool. It's like, no, no, no. That's really super problematic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, so it's illegal. Just like, <laughs> it's illegal. And it's just down to the question why are we sexualizing these young girls who are just trying? It's such a, God, it's so ironic to me. All they're trying to do is go to their place of education to learn. And they can't even walk 100 meters without getting beeped out down the street by some like creepy 35 year old guy. Right. Who thinks that and it's I normal to do that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. I used to get cat called more often when I was in school uniform than any other time. Okay, like, so that's concerning. That is concerning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, that, again, when I was speaking to these girls at a UK boarding school the other day, there's this patch of, um, like, open road for about 100 metres where they have to get from, like, the school to, like, the whatever pitch, like the, I don't know, hockey pitch, whatever. And, like, I spoke to about eight different groups and every single one of them was just, like, we cannot walk through that strip without being, like sexually harassed or cat called blah, blah, blah. and we're told to make sure our skirts are down and we're not allowed to wear shorts and we have to walk between places wearing the onus is on us like, to try to yeah. avoid getting cat called instead of men being taught not to behave exactly. that way so let's talk about bargaining with the patriarchy bargaining with the patriarchy is a concept that explains how when a woman has the ability to exert power over another woman she often does because that's her only way of getting power um 
and it's for short-term gain and long-term loss because in the short term you know you maybe say something mean about a girl and you feel good about yourself and the boy next to you is saying that yeah you're way cooler than her or yeah she's such a slut and you're not like that or you know you also you know that can even come down to being like oh my god she's got so much plastic surgery it's like she's getting plastic surgery because she's trying to compete in this world where nothing is good enough like let her be yeah like all of these things we're constantly diminishing women as women and I also hate so much when people like girls are so bitchy I'm like we're not bitchy we're bargaining with the patriarchy like what and we've all done it it's undeniable today we've haven't done it that is something I really hate about being a woman because I feel like we are so much more powerful when we work together as opposed to against each other but we're we're brought up not to behave that way, essentially. Even yeah. in, as an example, like a guy will cheat on his girlfriend and the girl will get angry at the girl that he cheated on her with as opposed to addressing the issue with the guy, right? That's yeah. happening as a teenager, let alone later in life. We're just constantly pitted against each other. Yeah. And it is like exertion of power. And that's what I mean when it's for long-term loss because ultimately, you know, every time you diminish another woman's achievements, every time you talk down another woman, you're contributing to your own oppression long-term, even if that like satisfaction gets you. And that's when you say, you know, women work better when we're all together and empowering each other. That's because we're actually, you know, getting somewhere if we do that. But it's hard to do. I mean, we've been socialized in that way. We've been told we're bitchy. We've been told we're meant to be competitive. We've been conditioned. We've been told that you know, all of these things, all these stereotypes, it's automatic in us to think them. Yeah. I think as women, as you said, women have such a large role to play in this situation as well. We don't realise that we are also internally misogynistic. Yeah, like, absolutely. We, don't we call I girls sluts all the time and, oh, yeah. you know, objectify women all the time. Like, look what she's wearing. She's such a slut. Her boobs are fake. Is that with him on the first day? Like, we do it all the time. We are perpetuating this vicious cycle, you know, and that is conditioning. That is us competing for men's attention. We also get ourselves in, you know, questionable sexual um, situations because we think that that's what we have to do to get men's attention. Like it's everywhere, right? Education plays a huge role in this. Absolutely. And calling ourselves up, it's education, but it's also reflection because it's going to take a while to shift this. Yeah so so ingrained in us yeah. um i've read this in florence Gibbons book about like internalized misogyny but like the fact that it's surprising and this was such a thing to me because i like definitely 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 do this that like split moment of like surprise when you find out that someone who's like super gorgeous is also really smart or something like that yes i like, read it, that and i do it all the time yeah yeah i'm like how is nicole so beautiful inside and out and also super intelligent that you know goes against my stereotypes of what a girl should be so why is that shocking to me and you know we need to acknowledge that we do have that split second moment of and we need to realize that that is a wrong thing to have and that we cannot really get rid of that if we acknowledge we have it there's no point being like I treat all girls the same I love all girls I would never objectify a woman I you know that goes for both boys and girls we need to admit that of course we have these stereotypes because that's what our whole society has made us have yeah Absolutely. that it's okay to acknowledge that if we can move forward and just be like, there is absolutely no reason why Nicole can't be drop-dead gorgeous and as intelligent as she is. 
society has just told me that it can be one or the other. Right. And I read you say like this, we have such a challenge ahead of us because it's not only educating younger generations, it's also educating a generation who has adopted these patriarchal ideals and they're the ones who have to create this change or orchestrate this change. So it's on both ends, right? But I'm curious because you've mentioned you've lived in three countries and you think that this issue is majorly prevalent in Australia and private schools. Why do you think it's more of an issue here? So Sweden is obviously Sweden. We love Sweden. We love Sweden. Um, (laughs) You know, Sweden's one of the most gender equal countries in the world, which I think is why the rape culture um, wasn't prominent there. And, you know, you go out. I remember so clearly I went out clubbing my first night in Sweden, came home with my exchange friends who were from like a variety of countries around Europe, uh, mainly UK and Sweden. And um, and the Netherlands, which is also super progressive. And I remember being like, no one grabbed my ass tonight. And everyone was like, what the fuck? Like, why would someone grab your ass? And I was like, no one grabbed my ass tonight. <laughs> like, that was the first, I was probably about 19. It was the first time I had ever, like, been at a party or a club or anything with boys and girls where someone did not grab my ass. They were all just like, what are you talking about? And, you know, when I started thinking about it, when I was in Sweden, I was studying international development. And, you know, obviously gender equality comes into play a lot with yeah. that. And on the back of every bathroom stall in the clubs it's like have you like sexual assault hotlines um reminders of what sexual assault is reminder all around the clubs reminded about sexual harassment and it's just like I didn't even notice but that would make such a difference and it just is in the culture like I was speaking to my Swedish friend and he was just like I just cannot comprehend why you think someone would possibly grab your ass I was just like, I can't comprehend that you can't comprehend that. To us, it's like offensive if you go out and like somebody doesn't try. It's like, what's wrong with me? But no, that's actually not okay behavior. So it goes back to conditioning, right? Like they've been conditioned how to behave like gentlemen. (laughs) And we have them, right? Not even gentlemen, just respectable human beings. Like honestly, common decency. Imagine the capacity to like walk past someone and grope a woman. (laughs) A man or a woman. So in terms of the testimonies, are there any that stand out to you in particular that um, illustrate, you know, this rape culture that we're currently living in? I think this is a really good one. This is from Askham 2013. It says, I was at a gathering when I was taken into a room by a boy who I was tuning at the time. He then proceeded to have sex with me whilst I said no and stop over and over again. He didn't listen and continued to have sex with me. I didn't tell anyone it was unconsensual and continued to be abused by him on multiple occasions as I was in denial and didn't want to feel like a victim. And I think that is so encompassing because we have so many things here. We've got, you know, a gathering. That's a small social group of close and trusted friends. We've got someone you're tuning, someone you were personally interested and romantically involved in, but that doesn't mean that you're willing to have sex with them. We've got, you know, this is a rare situation um, where the victim you know, was saying no over, well, not a rare, but um, she didn't fawn. She was actively saying no and no over and over again. She continued to be abused by him. That's her fawning. That's her sticking in an abusive relationship. And she was in denial because she wasn't equipped with the tools to know what sexual assault was. And she didn't tell anyone because of the way that our society treats its victims. She probably felt shame and like that she wouldn't be supportive if she spoke out, which is a common response. Yeah, exactly. I honestly couldn't even like comprehend what like how I would react if one of my friends at the time that it happened called the thing that happened to them sexual assault. Like I, I really don't know how I would have reacted. 
I assume I would have been in denial as well. It's such a such a hard thing for young girls to have to navigate. I think it's mostly fear. Like if you're in a trusted environment with your peers, like people you've grown up with, claiming that somebody from that group has sexually assaulted you, like it's not going to be received well. I just know that if that was to happen to me today right now, it still wouldn't be received well, even though I'm in my 30s and I'm educated on the topic. It's just the reality. You don't want the responsibility to be on you. like Yeah. So there was actually another time, which um, I guess I'm still processing in a way because it was so recent, but... Um, this guy who I'd been flirting with for ages, um, like came back to my house and I was very clear. I didn't want to have sex with him and, um, was, you know, like I also, like, I remember saying like, you know, you cannot touch me like below the waist. Like that was the rule I imposed the night. Anyway, we went to bed and then I woke up and he was, um, like touching me and fingering me basically. And, you know, I woke up and I was super turned on because someone was touching and fingering me and I was like suddenly really into it. And then I was like getting with him really intensely. And then I literally like, thank God I had some moment of clarity because I was like, um, you know, had been drinking that night as well. And I was just like, in my mind, I was like, what the fuck should I do? You were asleep 10 seconds ago. Do not do this. Like you will regret it. He asked me on a date the next day and I said, yes. And then three days later I called him and I was just like, hi, that was actually really not okay. But like, processing it took and that is me knowing all the things I know right you know being so active in this space being such an advocate for something like that it took me three days to be able to comprehend understand and speak about anyone like I remember being on the phone to my friends like I don't know it was really weird like maybe I was like I was asleep so I can't really remember and I'm just doubting myself over and over again and it's like this is even me in my 20s you know 22 at the time still not fully empowered and still with not enough trust in my society to be able to just openly say that happened. I can't even imagine like the situations that young girls, like, as I said, you know, that's me and it took me days to process to say something to him and I was terrified to do it and things like that. I often think that because even in my own personal experiences, I, you know, for instance, the the guy who I grew up with who sexually assaulted me, yes, I fought back in that instance. And I'm like a very direct person. I often wonder what do women who aren't direct, how do they internalize that situation? How do they deal with it? How do they get out of that? And as such a direct person, I've even found myself in numerous situations just like yours where I've been passed out and then the guy has tried to sleep with me and I've woken up in a situation where the guy's basically sleeping with me. And it's like, and and I, I freeze and it takes me ages to process it. And I'm like, that's not normal behavior. And the guy continues to pursue you. You indulge it by flirting, texting back. And then you take a break from the situation. You're like, actually, he's a creep. That's creepy behavior. You don't behave like that. Like, that shouldn't be normal. It shows that, one, there's no understanding of what sexual assault is because yeah. it's unconscious. They can't find you. And it shows, two, how sex is perceived as just like a, you are going to give me gratification no matter what state you're in. Like, why? I could could not think of anything worse than having sex with someone who is unconscious. Like, I actually could not think of anything worse. <laughs> People who do it, mainly boys, they just, again, care about their sex drive. For yeah. me, having sex with someone is about making sure that they're happy and comfortable in the situation. And yeah. It's a reciprocal exchange, <laughs> you know? That's what consent is. It's not just saying yes. It's wanting it. It's reciprocal. It's paying attention to the other person's emotions and feelings. And in that moment, you, you should be, you know, instead of gaining instead of it being normal to gain pleasure over like dominating someone, it should be normal to gain pleasure over making them feel good in that moment. Exactly. And it's rare. I feel like whenever I'm in a sexual experience and the guy like cares about me or like 
you know, it freaks me out. Like, I'm like, like what? Like, don't get angry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what has been the reaction from your friends and families and guys you've dated before and guys you've had these incidents with? So pretty much everyone that I've ever had any sexual encounter with <laughs> down to a handy has texted me. <laughs> <laughs> Except the boy who sexually assaulted me. And, well, I, yeah, there's actually, um, I guess, two boys who sexually assaulted me. And as I said, the other one texted me and I have fully forgiven him. And, like, it doesn't, like, I have closure from that because of the way he acted in that moment and because I understand that he's not a bad person and I don't think he'll ever do it again now that... And it was unconscious. Know. It's part of his programming too. He's just a product of his society and I happen to be the victim of the product. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I've had like lots of nice support, except from the um, boy I'm talking about that I was 13 when it happened. Obviously. That's very young, Chanel. Like- I honestly think if I knew what sexual assault was, I would have been able to get out of the situation. I had friends who were literally meters away from me at the time. Um, so like, I think if I knew what it was and like knew to say the word help or like something like that, I did say the word no. Like I was, I was saying no and it was forceful, but it wasn't like, you know, again, I think if I knew what was going on, I would have felt justified to be angrier. And what advice would you have for individuals who have engaged in sexual assault and now being confronted with their behaviour and realising that they've done something wrong? I think that if you come to the realisation that you've sexually assaulted someone, you have to think about the situation really carefully. One, again, acknowledgement and reflection is the most important thing you can do. Speaking, like, Telling people close to you who you trust, telling your closest guy friends that that's something you've done is really important because they've probably done it too. And then they get a chance to reflect and it becomes normalized to acknowledge that this stuff happens. Yeah. It doesn't mean we can use it, but it means we can just be like, that was super messed up. We're not going to do that again. I guess if you can acknowledge that you've done something like that, all you can do is just make sure you don't do it ever again. Exactly, right? As you said, like we've spoken a lot about this episode that girls can contribute to this so much, but every single person needs to reflect and change things because our norm has resulted in this and that's not good enough. So we need a new norm. You know, this just needs to happen at all angles and education is the best way to create cultural change in a community. We also need policy reform. We need legislative reform. We need a reallocation of resources. We need a cultural shift. It all needs to be done at once. Yeah. For maximum effect and it needs to be done consistently. Our justice system Uh, needs to mirror what's going on on an educational level as well, right? It needs to be ready for it. In the UK, after the Me Too movement, the absolute number of cases that were convicted went down, even though the rates of reporting skyrocketed because the justice system could not handle it because it is not equipped. It has no idea how normal this crime is. Like if suddenly everyone reported, the whole system would literally collapse and there wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get a court date for five years and they would only put through the really horrible, clear-cut cases. They wouldn't put through the entitled opportunist cases. They would only put through the like, sadistic rapist ones where it was like obvious who was going to get convicted. It would overflood our jail systems. Like Australia is not ready for this. Girls are angry. Girls are being loud. Like If we all reported at once, the whole country would just combust. So have to do something about it. So do you think that we can break this cycle for future generations? I do. I think it's going to take time, but I think it is an intergenerational thing. Think about how far, like, you know, homophobia, for example, how much um, more prevalent that was a generation ago and how much a generation can change. I even think that just like any girl growing up in Australia right now engaging in this conversation, knowing what it's like for them, knowing the reality, the way that they grow up 
their sons and daughters will be different and that's important but I think that once we get to a point in society where it's suddenly more normal to call out behavior that is rape culture than it is to engage in it there'll be a snowball effect and a tremendous shift foundations that uphold rape culture will fall fast yeah I'm curious to see how many cases are reported uh, because of what you're doing you know it will be interesting to see the change that takes place over the next few months so how can we each contribute to fixing this situation men and women included just reflection like girls boys everyone what behavior you've let your peers get away with what behavior you've engaged in yourself parents the story like what you've put onto your kids like I don't think parents realize that the way they comment on the media the way they comment you know no I don't think many parents would say I would blame my daughter if she got sexually assaulted and that's why they don't understand victim blaming they're like obviously if my daughter told me this I would never get angry at her but it's like you don't understand that all the things you say before she gets sexually assaulted is what matters And it's not about how you act when she tells you. It's the fact that she's too scared to tell you because of the things you say. It's so intricate how much change is required to really make a difference. I read this quote where you said we can't, you know, change what happened to past generations, but we can make a difference for younger generations. And I'm just so grateful that you're you're trying to do that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed every minute of talking to you and I just can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 episode, How We Can All Put an End to Australia's Rape Culture with the trailblazing Chanel Contos. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. I've included a link to Chanel's teachersconsent.com website in the show notes. If you're located in New South Wales and have been the victim of sexual assault and want to report your complaint to the police, I've also included a link to fill out a SARO for Operation Vest. If you have a question that you want answered, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.